Good morning. My name is Chef Michael, and I am a child of God, a servant of the Most High King. Kevin asked me a couple weeks ago if I would share a testimony. Uh, he repeated something several times in there, keep it to four minutes. So in code, I heard he's telling me four minutes, hoping I get done in ten. So we'll see how this works out. Um, it's an honor to be able to testify as to what God's done in my life. The story I want to tell is a story of a, a man that murdered and killed and raped and, and tortured and, and come to Jesus and his life was perfect. But that's not my story. I was a bad man. Wasn't that bad. I didn't kill anybody. Wasn't that good, neither. My Aunt Leona can testify to that. <laughs> but a lot of times I think that, that we think that we have to kind of doctor our testimony up to make God look better. Have you looked at creation lately? God does a pretty good job of looking good on his own. The biggest difference he's made is that I have hope now. I have joy now, things I didn't know before. Um, I did a lot of bad stuff. I lived in a lot of bad situations. I didn't grow up in church, um, but I attended church off and on. Um, I can remember a time before I came to Christ, I thought I was okay. I was an American Christian. I'd go to church five or six times a year. I was living with the mother of my two children out of wedlock with a third child that I'd had before with another woman out of wedlock. And in the world's eyes, these things are all okay. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. I thought I was okay. I was going to make it because I went to church once in a while. I knew that there was a God, so that's all you have to know. If you know there's a God, everything's okay, we think. But that's wrong. Um, I don't know what happened for sure, but July the 10th at 9.03 p.m. in the pastor of Mark Stetler's office, Parkway Church of God, my life changed forever. I don't, again, I don't know what it was. I wish I could say this is the prayer I prayed, this is the thing I done, but something changed inside. The sun was more beautiful. The birds, I can remember before I hated the sound of birds singing, just shut up, stupid birds, and let me sleep. And now I love the sound of birds singing. Um, the dozer that I ran pushed more dirt than it ever pushed before. But on this side, things weren't perfect. Uh, the marriage, the, I ended up marrying that woman, and, and it didn't work out. A lot of bad stuff still happened. Uh, for 10 years, I raised three little girls by myself. Took 10 years for God to send me a woman that could put up with me, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, we think that our, a lot of times when we're trying to reach the lost, we tell people, if you come to Jesus, everything will be perfect. And it hasn't been perfect for me. Um, but again, I have hope. That's something I didn't have before. I have joy. Um, I, I think as some of the young people over there, I made decisions when I was a young person that I didn't think were that big a deal that, that I am still paying the consequences for those decisions. Um, God has forgiven me of my sin, but those consequences are still there. Uh, things that I'm trying to overcome. I was 34 years old when I gave my life to Christ. I got 34 years of bad programming. I'm still trying to overcome some of those things. Um, the word says, the promises are that I'm perfect in Jesus Christ. But I'm still wrestling with living those promises out, letting those things go through me. And that's where I have the hope that when I fail, it's not up to me. My... my uh, Actions don't dictate where I spend eternity. Jesus' actions are credited to me. I get to go to heaven because of Jesus. And that creates the motivation and the excitement to continue this change, to let him work through me. Um, I've had a lot of things happen. I've got to preach a lot of sermons in a lot of places. I spent several years uh, teaching middle school kids. And I've also been involved in things I shouldn't have been involved in since I've come to Jesus Christ. It hasn't been a perfect life. I've fallen down a lot of times. Um, 
Those of you that know me from before know at one time I had hair down to the middle of my back and a beard down to about here. That was after I came to Jesus. I looked like this before when I was going to hell. But I can, uh, don't joke, really. <laughs> that was kind of my reverse testimony. I'd never owned a Harley and I'd never had the hair down to my back and a beard until Jesus came. And, and I think some of that is to honor the prayer that I told God I wanted the real thing. I've stood up in front of a crowd of people, and when, they, when I opened the Bible up with my long hair and my beard, I've had people get up and walk out because they would refuse to accept the gospel from a person that looked like me. I've been on the other side of that. I can remember when I first came to Jesus praying for people that had long hair that they just come to a better relationship. He showed me a lot of things. The hope that I have in Jesus Christ, that carries me through. He's allowed things to happen in my life that I would not have chosen. If you would have talked to me About two years into this walk, I would have told you, now that I'm 15 years in, I would be pastoring a church and I would be getting people saved by the thousands. I can't come up with one name that's in heaven because I know that I did something. Um, My girls were going to marry pastors and be missionaries, and I have a granddaughter with my middle daughter that's out of wedlock. My youngest daughter is living with a man out of wedlock. My girls chose to move out and go live with their mom when they were teenagers, and I ache over those things, but the beauty of those things is there, there is no way to know the hurt and the pain the Father feels of our rejection other than our own children. And I would not wish that on anyone, but I'm telling you the hope I have in Christ allows me to look at that differently. Before, I would have got so upset and so mad and hated everything, but now I can look at it and think, okay, Lord, I know you in a way that a lot of people aren't going to get to know you, that pain that I have caused him by rejecting him. I can understand now by my children, and, and they're not, I don't believe they've lost their salvation, but they're living in a bad place. So again, the, the hope that I have is what has changed. The, be, the ability to look at different things, the ability to see something bad happen in my life and know my God is sovereign. He may not have made this happen, but he allowed this to happen for a reason. So that's, that's my testimony, and, and I, I think it was five, so I'm sorry, I tried to keep it short. Talk with me sometime if you want. i got millions of stories, good and bad, but the hope is in Jesus. So thank you for your time. Jesus is still in the business of changing lives, isn't he? And I hope that he's changed your life. You remember a couple of weeks ago I preached to you about from Acts 9, the conversion of Saul as he was on that road to Damascus and he saw the bright light of Jesus and and his life was never the the same after that. So over these next couple of weeks, uh, as I preach, uh, there are going to be testimonies given uh, of people whose lives have been touched by Jesus. And I hope that you have a testimony. I hope that you're willing to share your testimony with other people. Everyone who is a Christian should have a testimony. Jesus has made a difference in our life, and there are people around us who need to hear our testimony. I hope and pray that you're willing to share that testimony. This morning, we are looking in Acts chapter 11, taking a look at the, at the church in Antioch. Chapter 11, I want to read verses 19 through 21 to you. It says, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, 
speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there was some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. I love that word, but, in verse 20. There were some who were preaching to Jews only, it says. They still were unwilling to cross that racial barrier, even though in chapter 10, the Lord has made it very clear through Cornelius' story that the gospel message is for all people. And yet it's hard for people to change. It's hard for them to give up their old ways. They're stuck in their pride and their prejudices. And, and, and so there were some who were preaching the news of Jesus only to Jews. Thank God, though, there were some who were able to overcome that. And they are the reason for the word but in verse 20. Some were preaching to Jews only, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and they began speaking to the Greeks. And notice what they were preaching. Or maybe I should say, notice who they were preaching. They were preaching Jesus. And that has been a point of emphasis over these last several chapters in Acts, that the central point of the early church's preaching was Jesus. Therefore, that should be our central point in our preaching as well. And I use the word preaching in a very specific sense, but also in a very general sense. The word itself simply means to announce glad tidings, to bring good news. So whether it's me preaching to you in a formal fashion on a Sunday morning church time, or whether it's each of us individually through the week talking to people, we need to make sure that we are announcing the glad tidings of Jesus. It's easy to converse with someone about everything under the sun except Jesus, isn't it? Now, I realize we can't hit people over the head with Jesus like he's a sledgehammer in our hand. Somebody introduces me to Joe and Sue. I don't immediately walk up to them and hit them, hit them over the head with Jesus and say, Do you know Jesus? But it is a shame if I get to know Joe and Sue and build a relationship with them and never speak to them about the Savior. I am sure of this, though, if I get to know Joe and Sue and I'm willing to speak to them about Jesus and I pray to God that he would help me have an opportunity to speak to them about Jesus, he will answer that prayer. He will give me that opportunity. He will open the door wide open for me to speak to them and he will be with me as I do speak to them. And the same is true for you. He will be with you and he will help you in your speaking to people if you are willing. And these fellows in Acts 11 were willing. They were bold in speaking about Jesus and they were speaking to the Greeks too. In other words, they were crossing barriers that they were not used to crossing. 
Were the Greeks listening? Yes, they were. Verse 21 says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number of them began turning to the Lord. They were believing in Him. When we speak to people about Jesus, there will be some who will listen. And really, this is the first integrated church that we see in Scripture. We have Jews and we have Greeks, which is another name simply for Gentiles. We have Jews and we have Gentiles who are worshiping together as one body of believers. I will never forget the first integrated church that I walked into. It was heavenly. It was awe-inspiring. And it was very noticeable simply because I had never seen integration in the church to this degree. When I was young, growing up in O'Fallon, Missouri, we had a group of between three and 400 people in our church, and we were all the same color, except for one family, Tim and Lillian Carson and their little boy. They were the only black family in our church. Lillian was our piano player. And boy, could she play that piano. And she had rhythm and she had soul and sometimes as she's playing the piano she would kick that bench out from underneath her and she'd stand up and she'd be playing the piano as she's as she's singing and she's leading the congregation in in our in our singing and our worship to God and man could could she sing and man could she move <laughs> And the rest of us, we didn't have any rhythm at all. <laughs> I still don't have any rhythm. If Dusty wants us here to clap and sing at the same time, I can't do it. I've got to stop singing so that I can clap. That's the kind of lack of rhythm that I have. But Lillian, my, oh, my, did she have rhythm. And she had soul. And she and her family... Every Sunday, they were the only people of color in our church. And that's what I grew up with. And so when I walked into the Garnett Road Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one Sunday evening, I think it was probably back in 1980, I was taken back by what I saw. I saw... I saw white people, and I saw black people, and I saw Asian people. Before the church was starting, they were all intermingling together. They were talking with one another, and they were laughing, and they were having a good time with each other, and they were enjoying one another's company. And when it came time for the church service to start, they were sitting amongst one another, and they were lifting their hands in praise to God. They were worshiping the Lord God together 
And as I looked at what, what I was seeing and as I experienced that worship together with them, it was to me like a glimpse of what heaven surely is going to be like where every nation and every tongue and every race and every tribe will be worshiping Him together at the throne of God in oneness, in perfect harmony. And I could hardly hold back the emotion that evening. And still to this day, it's very clear in my mind what I saw that evening and what I experienced. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's my prayer for this congregation. That we would be a church for all people, where people of every color are welcomed and people from every walk of life are welcomed because we are here to worship God together. Not here to judge each other. We are here to worship God together. And as we do gather here and worship with one another, then the Word of God the truth of God will be preached and that's what will change lives. Paul said it this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the church at Antioch was an integrated church where the good news of Jesus was being preached and a very important footnote for us not to miss, that church was growing. And I am quite sure that if we as a congregation would put all of that together, that if we are preaching Jesus and we are loving one another where people of every race and every color are welcomed and we are here to worship God together, that's a good combination for church growth. The church was meant to be a place of diversity where Christ is then able to work His miracle among us and make us one. Could I encourage you to invite people to church who are different than you. You hear me say that? I'm saying it to every single person that is here. First to me, and then to you. Could we invite people to church who are different than what we are? Invite people to church who have a different color of skin than what you have. Invite people to church who are in a different economic bracket than what you are in. Invite people to church who, who dress differently than what you do. Invite people to church who think differently than what you think. And let's see how God might work His miracle of oneness Amidst our adversity. What else was going on at this church in Antioch? Let me read to you verse 22. 
The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Now, how far was Antioch from Jerusalem? I had to look on a map to figure it out. 300 miles north of Jerusalem is Antioch. And the news about the Antioch church reached the ears of the folks at Jerusalem. And that news spread without the use of the internet, without the use of telephones, without the use of email or anything else. The news spread over a 300-mile span because there was something exciting going on at Antioch. And the news spread like wildfire all the way down to the church at Jerusalem. To a point that the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem say, hey, let's send Barnabas up there to see what's going on. Sometimes I hear people say, well, it's just not exciting around here like it should be. Well, let me ask you a question or two. If you're one that says that or thinks that, what are you doing about it yourself? Are you praying about that issue? Are you making sure that you yourself are excited about Jesus? Or are you just waiting for somebody to light your fire? No, you, you, you need to. You are responsible for yourself. And, and when you are excited about Jesus, and then you bring that excitement here in your personal worship, and you're encouraging people, that's going to make a difference in the church. And what about this? How about if you and all of us together go out and invite some people to come here who are different than what we are? That is guaranteed to bring new life to us. New blood brings new life. You ever seen somebody at the hospital who's got a blood transfusion given to them? What's it do to them? I mean, it it gives to them a burst of energy. I've seen this multiple times where somebody is, they're low on blood and they're just, I mean, they're, they're dragging. They're, they're, they can hardly get up and go. And when they are given a blood transfusion, it's like a shot of energy into their arm. They are given a new lease on life for, for even just a little bit. That new blood gives to them new life. That new blood gives to them new energy and new strength. New blood brings new life. And that is not only true in the human body, it's true in the spiritual body, the church. The church at Antioch had an inflow of new people coming into their midst, and it was an exciting place to be. The same thing could be true right here. If we are out there inviting new people, people who are different than us, into our church family to come and be a part New life brings, new blood brings new life. And the news spread, and Barnabas was sent to go and check it out. Let me read to you verse 23. 
Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. What did Barnabas witness according to that verse? The grace of God. He witnessed the grace of God. It was evident all throughout that church. Now, I've done some thinking about that. What, what exactly was it that he was seeing? He was seeing the fact, the truth, that the message of Jesus is for all people. Because everywhere he looked in the midst of that Antioch church, there were different kinds of people than what he was used to worshiping with. The grace of God is for all people. Barnabas saw that in the church at Antioch. He saw that forgiveness of sin is for more than just the Jews. It's for the Gentiles too. And these people can actually, the Jews and the Gentiles, can actually experience Oneness together. And as he saw that happening, he said, this is the grace of God. It was a new revelation to him. He witnessed the grace of God, and as people who normally were at odds with each other, now they were loving each other. And the text says that Barnabas rejoiced. And I'm, I'm betting he wasn't the only one rejoicing. Everyone was rejoicing in the grace of God. And Barnabas then began to do what he did best. He began to encourage the new believers to stay faithful. And so let's, let's just back up a little bit and get a, a good round view of what's going on here at this church in Antioch. They're preaching the message of Jesus to all people. The church is integrated beautifully. There's excitement within the church. New people are coming to Jesus. And now, as Barnabas has arrived, he begins to lead by example in the area of encouragement. You know, the church needs encouragers. Lots of them. Simply because the world can be such a hard place to live. And we know the truth of that. Every single one of us know how hard the world can be. Trials come. Temptations come. Satan never goes to sleep. He's working overtime trying to distract us from, from, from our commitment to Jesus. And so we need each other. We need the support that comes from, from, from the church. We need one another to be lifting the other up. And then we're in turn, we're trying to lift the other one up too. We need encouragers in the body of, of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. 
Romans 14, 19 says, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Romans 15, 1 and 2 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. It really does come down to this truth that we have on our board, and that is we are our brother's keeper. We're to encourage each other. And when the church figures that out and lives that out, then we'll have more excitement and growth here just as the church at Antioch had. And so... Let me ask you, will you be an encourager to those around you? Every one of us should be seeking to be an encourager to those around us. Let me read to you verses 25 and 26 of chapter 11. And he, this is Barnabas, he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. There were so many good things going on at this church in Antioch. You know, one of the good things was there was teaching going on in this church, the teaching of God's Word. It's right there in that passage. Could I just for a moment say thank you? to every one of you who are involved in the teaching ministry of this church, whether you're an ABF teacher, whether you're teaching in the children's department or the youth ministry department, whether you're one who's leading a small group on Sunday night or a ladies' Bible study, whatever it might be that you are doing, if you are involved in the teaching ministry of this church, I just want you to know you are appreciated and you are vitally important to what's going on here overall at Community Christian. God is using you. You may not know, feel that at times. You, you may think sometimes your efforts are futile, but God is using you because the promise is His Word will not return void. And this hit me a few weeks ago as my son Jonathan was here leading the worship on a Sunday morning. And I I mentioned it to you as I got up to preach that morning. Just the thought of, of how many people in this congregation invested into his life as he was growing up. You know, teaching him in the children's department, the, the children's church, and teaching him in the Sunday school as he's growing up in those elementary years and, and going to church camp with him and going to CIY with him and, and being a youth minister for him and just teaching him the Word of God. And it made a difference in his life. Sometimes we wondered, <laughs> sometimes we wondered if it was making a difference But what you were doing was reinforcing reinforcing what was going on in the home as we were trying to teach him about Jesus too. And so your involvement in the teaching ministry is vitally important. Verse 26 says, They taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called 
Christians in Antioch. I read this in a commentary about the word Christian. I thought it was worth sharing with you. Christian. The ending, I-A-N, means belonging to the... Well, we missed a Y. Belonging to the party of. Not the part of. Belonging to the party of. Thus, Christians were those of Jesus' party. Now, that's a party I want to be a part of. And being a part of Jesus' party is, being, is a whole lot better than being a part of the Republican Party. And being a part of Jesus' party is a whole lot better than being a part of the Democratic Party. We as Christians are a part of His party. You know... It also could be said that the word Christian means Christ one. And that's who we are to be. We are to be Christ ones. And if each of us in this body of believers are being Christ ones out there in the world, to those whom we are around through the week, whether it's a neighbor or a a person that we're working with, somebody at the swimming pool, wherever it is that we are at, that if we are being Christ ones to those people, whether maybe it's at the ballpark, if we are being Christ ones there and and we're showing them what it means to be a Christ one, then maybe there will be a draw towards Jesus. They They want to be a part of that party. The problem that sometimes happens, though, is when we're out there in the world, we're not being Christ ones. And it's a, I don't want to be a part of that. Let's be a stepping stone towards Jesus, not a stumbling block from Him. One other thing that was going on at the church in Antioch. You can read this in verses 27 to 30. We'll not take the time to read it, but you will see, hear me, you will see Gentile Christians actually sending a money gift to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, because there was a famine in their land. Now, isn't that fantastic? Keep in mind, these are new Christians at Antioch, but they have already learned the importance of giving to their brothers and sisters who are in need. They have started a missions program. Let me just mention to you a couple of things to chew on about this subject of giving as we're getting ready to close. One, as you give to others, you are giving to Jesus. That's straight out of, out of Matthew chapter 25. As you've done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me, Jesus said. And secondly there, where you invest your money is a strong indication of where your heart is. And that's straight out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. I pray that you are investing a good portion of your money into the kingdom that will last forever. You talk about a good church to emulate. The church at Antioch is a good church 
for us to try and be like. They were excited. They were preaching Jesus to all people. And all people were welcome into their midst. The church was integrated. There's teaching going on there. There's encouragement going on there. There's souls being saved there. And they have a giving spirit. When they see somebody who's in need, they're saying, what can I do to help? Could I, could I just ask you this question here as we close? Will you, will you help us be like the church at Antioch? Let's pray. Lord, we know it wasn't a perfect church, but it was sure a good church. And it had some qualities that are good for us. And so I pray that you would help us. And to understand that as individuals of this body, we can make a difference. Please help us. In Jesus' name.